Uh, my name is Pastor Jeremy. We're glad that you're here to worship with us today. We want to continue in worship, so let me open uh, with a word of prayer. Father, we're thankful for your provision for us. You provide in so many ways. As we look at our lives, we often feel like uh, we don't have enough because our expenses are high and our, our budget is short, but we know that uh, throughout time, you've always provided for your people and often through your people in miraculous ways. And so we pray that you continue to be with us as we seek to serve you and know you and make you known. Proclaim your gospel and your glory to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. So I brought with me this morning my boot. It's not my favorite boot. In fact, it's my least favorite boot. But I'm pretty sure you saw me in this last summer. Essentially, what happened is this, is I had surgery on my left foot. Now, many of us have surgery stories, but I have the mic, so I'm going to tell mine. You can identify with it in one way or another. But what happened is on the bottom of your foot, there's something called a plantar fascia. Runners, beware. Listen up. This is important. You want to stretch this thing really well, because if you don't, it's kind of like a rubber band. After a while... What happens is this thing stretched back and forth, back and forth. It gets kind of fragile, and then it gets tighter and tighter. And as that tension builds, eventually, if that tension is not released, then it begins to tear and break, and eventually you get all these little fissures or tears or cracks in it, and then it starts to hurt a lot, like you're walking on glass or have a big bruise on your heel. And this is what happened to me, and so I went to the doctor eventually after thinking, you know, I could run through it, and actually ended up thoroughly running it into my foot. And we went through all the routine of stretching and physical therapy and then steroid shots, and nothing was working. Eventually, they said, well, it's time for the S word, surgery. And so off to the physician I went, and the physician's job is to put some intentional tears in it so that it releases the tension, and after the tension's released, then it can grow back together again and form a new strong bond and once again serve as that big tendon on the bottom of your foot. And so now I stand here today wishing I could say I've been healed, but unfortunately I'm not all the way there yet. I still have pain. It's better than what it was before, for sure, but it's there, and I notice it. And so we manage. And as I was thinking about this, and I thought about, you know, our physical bodies, I thought, you know, there's a lot of similarities between our physical bodies and our relationships between other people as well. From the fact that we are, by default, born and broken into a broken world, There is inherent tension built in to our relationships. We're all sinners, and we sin to prove it. As a result, you put a bunch of sinful people together, and inevitably, there's going to be tension. And that tension is there, and it's tight, and it hurts. And at some point, we need a release. And so today in our sermon, what I want to do is take you through three steps Those three steps are these, the problem, the solution, and the application. The problem, the solution, and the application. And what we're going to do is just see how God, the great physician, works through both Jesus and us to bring healing to some otherwise very tense situations. 
So we may not be able to fix all of it now. I don't want to give you this rosy picture that like, okay, you go out and you do these three things, and all of a sudden your life's going to be perfect, and you'll have no more pain. No, that's not the way it is in this world. But there are things we can do. We can manage it. And so the question is not, can I fix it all? But what can I do right now that will really help and make a difference? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 tells us, and it is this. The Apostle Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all, who is over all and through all. And in all. Father, you are great and you are in everything and you are over everything and you are better than anything. Help us to see that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So what's happening here is essentially this. We're in chapter 4. And before chapter 4, how many chapters were there? Three. Exactly right. Very good. More coffee if you could not answer that. Three. The first three chapters were the grand and glorious, the great, mysterious, the eternal plan of God that began before the foundation of the world, goes through the time period that we're in now, and carries on to eternity future, forever and ever. This incredible plan, this beautiful thing that God ordained here it is. Look at the grandeur and glory of the fact that in him we were chosen before the foundation of the world. And in him we have an inheritance that's a guarantee sealed forever by the promised Holy Spirit. That is awesome. And I would love to go back to chapter 1 and preach that whole thing over and over again. To say, hey, this is what we're going to do. Isn't it great and glorious how good God is and how beautiful his plan is and how mysterious this mystery is and how wonderful Jesus is. But you know what I get to talk about today? Us. (laughs) You, me, our mess. The dirty, down to earth, where the rubber meets the road, where we get the brass tacks, where push turns to turning the other cheek. This is where it happens in chapter 4. We transition to something very different. Jesus has done his work. Now it's time for us to do ours. And it's not nearly as grand and glorious, but it is pretty cool. We get to be a part of it. We're brought into it. Because of that call, that thing that happened in eternity past that we had no part of, now we have something to do here and now. We can't fix it all, but what can we do? See, this is where theology and practical living collide head to head this is what it means to live out your salvation and look forward with hope to your future based on what happened in the eternal past and having the guaranteed hope of what will happen in the future therefore do this now if you don't have that you can't do this 
This is way too hard. This is not natural. Your natural responses, your natural inclinations are the exact opposite of what Paul will ask for today. Guided by the Holy Spirit, he chose some very specific words. Listen to them. Do these describe you? They don't always describe me. Shh. It's no secret, actually. Here's the thing. Paul uses words like this. He says, humble. Gentle. Patient. Don't raise your hand. Anyone would say, that's me. I'm just Mr. Patient every day. Doesn't matter. Nothing bothers me. Bear with one another, eager to mend fences. I can't wait for that next difficult conversation. I'm so eager for that. Looking forward to it. In fact, I see some conflict over there. Let me go see if I can help. Is that the way we are? It's not natural. It's supernatural. That's real power. And you know what? Here's the thing. There's a reason the Holy Spirit uses these words. Couldn't he choose different words like fight, get what you want, stand up for yourself, be a man, take what's yours, get some respect. It's not it. What do you see? In fact, is something very different. You hear the word humble. You know why? Because people will disrespect you. You hear the word gentle, because it's far easier to lash out. You hear the word patient, because there are some personalities that are just going to require it. You hear the word bear with, because some things just come with a package. It's in the fine print on the backside. You didn't see it. Here it is. Bear with. Eager to mend because despite everything you've done trying to do these things, at some point things will fall apart and the relationship will need mending. You see, there's a problem in human relations and we don't get out of it ever in this world. And that problem is sin. It will always be there. And as a result, there is always a tension. You can't think I've overcome and just stop. You're going to have to do this over and over again all the time. It's like stretching. You know, you don't ever stop stretching. In fact, you need to stretch more the older you get. Sin has this inherent tension built into our human relationships, and that's a problem. It's a problem that we can't overcome. But if you've been in church for any time at all, you know that we have a solution. If you haven't, welcome here. I hope you hear this. Here's the solution. The solution is Jesus. Here's a slide. Look, there's this infinite gap between humanity and God. A bridge, if you will, that we cannot cross. We can't get over this infinite gap because we are finite and God is infinite. He is holy, infinitely holy, and we are sinful. That means we are separated from him in such a way there's no possible chance for us to become one again. But fortunately for us, God does the greatest miracle ever. He takes deity and humanity and he combines them in one package not 50 50 80 20 60 40 or anything else 100 percent of both and he makes it the god man 
That God man, Jesus, bridges the gap. He can connect to us as humanity and he can connect to God as deity. As a result, the two are reunited and made one again. We are in him. If you're believing in Jesus and his cross and his death, his burial and his resurrection for the forgiveness of sins, then you are in Christ. And being in Christ means that you can get to God. He bridges the gap. And that's why earlier in Ephesians, Ephesians Let's see here. Chapter 2, verse 14 says, He himself, he himself is our peace. That's where this whole peacemaker thing comes in. It's so important that you understand this. you got to listen. you got to realize when you go into a conflict situation, you are not your peace. They are not your peace. Resolution to this problem isn't even your peace. He himself is your peace. And that's absolutely critical and essential if you were ever to do any of the things that the Holy Spirit calls you to do in this passage. Why? Well, let's take Jesus out of the equation for a minute. Let's imagine that you're at, you know, the UN or NATO or wherever, and you're negotiating for something really high stakes and really high value, and you've got two different entities or two different corporations or two different nations, and what they want is mutually exclusive. One wants this, one wants the other, and you can't put them together. And so what do they do? Well, they have to go there and fight and argue, and most of the time they walk away mad at each other because you can't have all of what you want at the same time as the other. And so what do they got to do? They got to fight. And they war. They get upset. And this is at the grand, at the big levels, the same thing that happens at the small level too. If we don't have Jesus, then we go in to the situation and we say okay there's no one to protect me i know that what they want is different than what i want and i gotta fight for every inch i gotta make sure that at the end of the day i get a fair shake because if i don't nobody else is looking out for my interest and i don't have any hope but for me and so my job in this situation at the end of the day my goal is to come away feeling satisfied like i got what i want or i got a fair deal or i got a fair shake and if that's the case i'm good but if there's anything less than that i'm upset and that's the way the negotiation takes place but if you're a person of faith it's entirely different and the reason is if you have faith then you have nothing to fear If you have faith, there's nothing to fear. If you have faith, there's nothing to fear. Why, Pastor? Well, the reason is, is because if I believe that Jesus is the judge, and if I truly believe that Jesus is just, and if I truly believe that one day Jesus will reign over everything and make everything right, then in that way, it doesn't matter what happens right now. It may hurt... It may be unpleasant, may not be fun, but I'm not looking to that situation or to that person to make me feel good or to make amends. Instead, where I'm looking for justice or where we should be looking for justice is in the future when Christ comes back and makes all things well. And so as a result, I can go into that situation And I can sacrifice, or I can forgive, or I can totally concede, knowing that whatever I give up now will be repaid tenfold in the future. 
That's how the Apostle Paul can go into prison and be singing and suffering and say, this is my joy. And we're scratching our heads saying, your joy, what are you talking about? You just got beat up. That doesn't make sense. He says, no, no, this is not being beat up. This is bonus. Because Paul has already been forgiven, then anything that's stolen from his account now is just credit for the future. Because Jesus has paid his debt, then everything else is just bonus on top of that. In other words, here's another way to say it. The forgiven don't have to fight it. The forgiven don't have to fight it. If you go into a situation and you know it's going to be tense, you know there's going to be conflict, it's going to be difficult. A lot of times we think, well, they owe me because they took, or they owe this, or I owe that, and I have to, or whatever. Guilt is never a good motivator, and neither is vengeance. So how do we walk into that situation and get resolution? Well, the answer is, he himself, he himself is our peace. If Jesus died on the cross and paid for all my sins, if he really did pay for them, all of them, that means I don't owe you anything. Jesus has already paid it. I owed God quite a bit, but I don't owe anyone else anything. Well, wait a minute. Hold on, Pastor. What if somebody sins against me because they are terrible things and that hurt me deeply? They stole, they took. They abused, they did this. Here's the thing. If Jesus' blood is really what we say it is, then not only do we not owe anyone else anything, they don't owe us anything. They owe God. And if they take his payment, it's forgiven. And therefore, when we go into that situation, we can't hold it against them. Because their debt has already been paid just like our debt has already been paid. We don't have any leverage. We can't say you owe. If Jesus has already paid, it's clean and it's forgiven. So we go into these situations in an entirely different way. And here's the thing. Not only does Jesus' gap or Jesus' blood bridge the gap between God and humanity, it also bring, bridges the gap. Here's the picture. Between us and one another. He himself is our peace. See there's a problem. This inherent tension in the relationship. We're pulling against one another. Seeing who's going to get their way. And we can't both have it. But there's a solution. That solution is Jesus. Jesus pays the debt for our sin. As a result. I can't hold anything against you. And you can't hold it against me. Because Jesus has paid for both. He's a solution between God and man. And the solution Between us and one another. So what do we do then? Well the Bible says based on that. Based on the fact that Jesus paid our debts. Therefore walk worthy. Walk worthy. And it gives us some very specific ways. Of doing so. It says this is how you walk worthy. Of the high calling. Of Christ Jesus. So what it does is it basically does this. In the latter chapters of this book it tells us about the armor of god 
You've probably seen some of the pictures up on our walls. Our graphic design team did an excellent job sort of painting this picture. And it says, okay, you're going into spiritual warfare. You want to put on the armor. You've got the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith, the gospel, or the belt of truth, and your feet are shod with what? The what? Gospel of peace. Exact. Good job, Monica. I got one response. That's all right. Your feet are shod with the gospel of peace. And we as Christians might think, okay, so what is the gospel of peace? I'm going to tell you what it is. What it is is this. Each toe on your foot has a name. And it's not this little piggy. But let me assure you, these things will help whenever you go to the market, go to dinner, or even if you have to go without. These things are the gospel of peace. Here's a picture of it. Here are the five things that should be on our feet as we walk worthy of the high calling of Jesus Christ. These are the things that should adorn our toes way better than any pedicure. Here's what it is. Here's the thing. Um, when, when we talk about um, how to walk and how to walk worthy of the calling, there, these five things are going to show up. Now, as I hinted at earlier, these aren't easy. These are something I struggle with too. And so what I'm going to do in the next few moments is not necessarily say, hey, look at what Pastor Jeremy does. Instead, I'm just going to say, hey, here's the definition. <laughs> Let me read to you the definition of what this is. And then we can all ask ourselves, how does this show up in my life? So here are feet shod with the gospel of peace. The first, the first one, the first little piggy is this. It is called humility. Humility. Now, many of us know what that is sort of instinctively, but we also may have a blurred picture in our mind because a lot of times we think, okay, woe is me. I'm supposed to be humble, you know, Eeyore or whatever. I'm the low schmo Joe. No offense if your name is Joe. <laughs> but in reality, what humility is, is it is this. It's a proper view of your oneself in relationship to God. You can download these slides or you can write these definitions now down if you'd like. But it's simply this. It's a proper view of self in relation to God. Now, what does that mean? Well, there are two ways you could look at yourself. You could be disparaging or demeaning to yourself because you say, oh, wow, look how sinful I am. But you could also be overly prideful as well. And this is neither of those. This is the balance in between that what it does, it says, okay, I was made in the image of God. I have a creator. I'm designed, but I'm broken. And when I look at him, what I see is his glory, his wonder, his beauty, his awe and his love and how that has come over the top of me and is redeeming my brokenness and removing me from the pit that I'm in. And as a result, from that view, from that experience, I don't feel pride in myself. I feel wonder in him. And I also don't feel like guilt from my sin because I know that that's been taken care of. So I try hard to find this middle ground, this median, this balance of walking worthy in Christ. By the way, do you know what the Greek word for worthy is in this section? It's axios, which is the same word we get axiom or axis from 
So it's the idea of balance. And here, the first place you go to find balance in your view of yourself, in your relationship to God, is by looking at him. You see forgiveness and love, but you also see the reality of perfection. And that perfection says, okay, you need to work on this, you need to work on this, and you need to work on that. C.S. Lewis says it's like looking at a work of art. If you saw a work of art up on the wall, unless you were the artist, you would not say, wow, aren't I awesome? Instead, you would say, wow, look at that art. Whoever made that must be really smart because they brought all this stuff together and formed that. It's incredible. In the same way, too, C.S. Lewis says you're supposed to look at yourself, not taking credit for the work that's being done. So you don't go, wow, look at me. But instead, when anything good ever happens, you just say, wow, look at the artist and look what he did. Isn't that cool? That is so neat. Number one, humility. How do we see ourselves in relation to God? Number two, gentleness. Some translations say meekness. That's a great word as well. Um, one of the things that commentators are quick to point out on this word, I think it's true of us in our culture too. When we hear meek, we think weak. We think meek means weak. But it's, a, it's different than that. It's more like this. There's a saying in uh, horse racing, particularly in down south, and they say something like, the meekest horse wins the race. And the reason for that is, is because all the horses are strong. They're built a certain way. They have an inherent strength. But the racehorses, they're rearing to go. And one of the big mistakes that they make is when the gates open, they burn out. So the ones that respond to their training, ones that hold back and then unleash at just the right time, those are the ones that win the race. So meekness is not weakness, but it is a passion that is under control. It's a passion for something other than oneself. And so in other words, what meekness or gentleness is, it's the desire or the willingness to accept, I think we have a slide of that, accept God's dealings as good without disputing. And as a result, they find refuge in the Lord and commit their way to him. These are the people that sing the first song that we sang this morning and say, look, God is good. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. God is good. God is in control. Jesus wins and will be resurrected. They're the people that walk into a difficult situation. They receive the diagnosis and it's bad news. And they say, Lord, I'm not here to argue with you. I'm not sure what you're doing, but I'm going to find my refuge in you. That's meekness. It's strength under control. Third, the third little piggy is patience. Patience, and that word means long-souled. Long-souled. Here's the definition. It says, a long, protracted restraint of the soul from yielding to passion, especially the passion of anger. Patience is passion for another thing, something that is greater than oneself. Go to the soccer field some Saturday morning and see what happens. If you'd like to see passion, and not only passion of the players, but passion of the parents. There's a crowd of 15 five-year-olds trying to score a goal. Mom and dad are going crazy. What happened? Well, there's this love, this inherent desire for this little one to do well. And as a result, their passion is overflowing in them. If we could redirect our passions, if the Holy Spirit could be at work in us in just the right way, then our passion would be not for ourselves, but for others. 
And we'd be cheering for them and we would be bearing with them and we would be patient. We'd be so excited to see them do well. Patience. Fourth, bearing with, bearing with. This word means that the person who bears with someone else does not suffer themselves to be easily provoked by injurious persons, but under great siege of trials, they bear up and do not lose courage. They bear with, they hang in there. And finally, the fifth one is this. It is eager to mend, eager to mend. Again, back to the gladiator or the the armor of God thing. This word is kind of interesting in that context because what would happen is trainers of gladiators would say to them, make every effort to stay alive. If you come home today alive, you win. That's your goal. Don't die. Like if you make it home today, it's a good day. Make every effort, be eager to stay alive. And so as a result, what happens is when we have conflict, we know that there is great potential for us to lose. And in losing, we could lose a lot. But in this text, what it's saying is your goal is to do everything you can to make amends. Now, let me be clear about something because someone asked me in the first service a good question. And I want to, you know... To clear this up for the second, is that walking worthy uh, or walking in the right way doesn't mean being walked on. And so walking in the right way doesn't mean being walked on. You're still strong. There's still boundaries. There's still clarity. There's still right. There's still wrong. But what it does mean is doing your best to do all these things to make amends. And once you have... If if it's not working, then you're still leaving that to God because he's the only great physician and great healer that can ultimately fix it. It's not on you. It's on him. You do what you can, which is walk in a worthy way, patient, humble, bearing with, long-suffering, meek, eager to mend. But at the end of the day, if you've done all you can, And you continue to move forward pursuing Christ and not worrying about whatever is happening on the other end. So, in other words, walking worthy doesn't mean being walked on. Walking worthy means having faith to let God figure it out. You don't worry about it. The forgiven don't have to fight. If you've gone into that situation and you've done your very best then you don't have to blow things up to guarantee a resolution. You leave peace on the table and offer, but after that, it's on them and it's on God. So those five things are your five piggies. And I hope that as you walk with the Lord, they will help you um, to ease your pain and balance your stride as well. My situation is this, I, I wish, like I said earlier, I wish I could stand here and say, oh, I've been healed, my foot's all better, but it's not, it still hurts. But what I've realized is that the way in which we deal with pain is we do everything we can now, and then we trust God for the future. Like you follow the doctor's orders, whatever they tell you to do, you do, and it'll help. But beyond that, what you're ultimately waiting for is the final fix. That's how this passage ties it together. It starts in the first verse and it says, talks about your call. That's eternity past. 
And then it goes to the final section, the final part of the, in, in the middle, it tells you what to do. And then the final section, it says this, Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, and I do have one little typo in here, but you'll see it in a second. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6 says, look, at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's Lord. And so you have faith that you're forgiven. You have faith that he'll fix it. And you don't have to worry because, look, at the end of the day, all relationships will be reconciled. When we're in heaven, there's only going to be one body. One. And one spirit. And just as you were called in eternity past to the one hope in eternity future, therefore, this is your call. Look, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Yeah, life is a fight. I mean, it's a fight. It's hard. I wish I could tell you it's going to be easy, but it doesn't get any easier. And so what happens is this, then we have bowed our knee and we have taken a commission in the service of the high king. Sometimes it's going to be yucky. Sometimes it's going to be dirty. And sometimes it's going to just plain hurt. But for those of us who make it to the other side, then he assures us that the reward is far greater than anything will ever have to walk through. As you come into conflict this week, in any relationship, the process is the same. Already reconciled to Jesus, already reconciled, you go in and walk worthy. If you weren't reconciled, I don't know what you'd do. But remembering the forgiveness that you've received, you can offer it to others. And so you go into the situation, and, and, and when those thoughts jump up, they say, oh, man, they disrespected me. Or, oh, man, I didn't need that today. Or, oh, man, that hurt. You stop, and you change the question, and you say, do I believe that Jesus will make everything right? Do I believe that Jesus paid for my sins? Do I believe that Jesus paid for their sins? Do I owe them anything? Do they owe me anything? I guess not. Well then, let's be humble. Let's be patient. Let's bear with. Be gentle. And be eager to mend. There's pain now. We can't fix it all. But we can help. Father, we thank you. For your only son, Jesus, who's perfect in every way who mends all of our brokenness. Lord, I admit, uh, sometimes I let my toes get stepped on, and sometimes I step on others. I just pray, God, as you've called us to walk worthy, that we would be wise and circumspect, brave and strong, and follow your call to be in Christ. Help us to walk worthy of this great calling to which we've been called. In Jesus' name, amen.